I do want to say there are a couple of people that we're going to be celebrating here this evening called Distinguished Alumni, three actually. Then we're going to celebrate this class of regrads, but in fact, there are three people on this stage that are very, very special to me, and they are Vernon, Art, and Margie Cron, uh, who are all sort of part of our family, yeah. So we love you, and we thank you for your work for many, many decades. Thank you, all three of you. Let me open in prayer, and then we'll get to work. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the privilege of celebrating the work you've done. I thank you for the plans that you have for the future. We ask that you would anoint this next oh, a couple of hours with your spirit, Make it sweet, make it celebratory, make it memorable, make it glorifying to you above all. And then we ask that you would bless our plans for the future, all of us, young and old, that we would go from here to carry your light on a message, on a medium of love to the world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Also, good evening. I bring my greetings to you all, and thank you for coming out this evening. Um, just to give you a bit of a rundown, you do see on your program what is um, happening tonight, uh, but also as we go, there'll be times where I will come up and introduce our next person, but there will also be times where they will come unprompted, so you'll see them in the program. So um, we'll start off the evening with Jake Penner, who is the class president from 1969. So I'll bring, I'll call Jake on up. Classmates, Prairie family. This segment of the program is called Highlights of the Class of 69. Being so named, it leads you to expect the recounting of shared happenings. Such recountings are usually introduced by the question, remember when, and are usually humorous. We're going to go in a different direction from that in our treatment of highlights, but to partially satisfy your anticipation of a walk down memory lane, Looking through the eyes of the class of 69, I will offer one highlight, just one such typical recollection, and then we'll get on to the other approach to highlights that we want to explore. The one highlight I will share is a sports highlight, and I am absolutely positive that not one person other than myself remembers it. It's from the flag football class in intramurals, and it's actually not very funny. One of the highlights this class is, ha is having a perfect football record. Zero wins in four years. <laughs> I have a point, though, I want to make tonight, in and in order to do that, I have to ask you to please permit me to play with these two words a bit, high and light. I would like to consider high as lofty, so lofty as to derive from God himself. And I would like to consider light as illumination, as understanding, 
as knowledge, as a dawning, a grasping of crucial information, light that is high, lofty illumination. So let us ask the question, did prayer yield us that kind of highlight? Lofty, essential, God-derived illuminations? The years from 1965 to 1969 constitute the very most formative period of our lives as classmates. The age period of 18 years to 22 years is formational, ipso facto. 18 to 22-year-olds will be mightily shaped by whatever they are exposed to during those years, wherever they are. And we were shaped, in large part, by the light that was shared with us here. People everywhere, whether they know it or not, were shaped by lights such as the Protestant Reformation, the Great Awakenings, the surge in Christian missions, the baby boom. But there were other lights, other voices, other shaping voices, those of the Beatles, the Moral Revolution, Woodstock, the legacy of the Enlightenment, and Diderot, and Voltaire, and Rousseau, and Schleiermacher, and Nietzsche, and Darwin, and Spark. To be in the ages of 18 to 22 is to be in a formative state or stage. So, a question or two. Did Prairie have any lofty illumination for us in this formative state and stage? Any highlights that were high enough to be divine and illuminating enough to be inspired? High enough that here in the farmyard that was Prairie's starting point, we were given something that would continue to be relevant globally and personally? High enough that here in the homespun search questions that comprise Prairie's method of Bible study, the foundation could endure? High enough that here in the wake of higher criticism, that questioned the veracity of the Bible and resulted in a growing embarrassment and dilution of the gospel, we could remain grounded. High enough that a philosophy of life, a worldview, a statement of faith, a set of core values, a cause worth giving your life for, and dead ringer accuracy about eternal life were intentionally imparted so that the big questions of life were honestly, actually, dependably settled forever? Was the formational context and content high enough and illuminating enough to have derived from God? Was the light high enough? Prairie did not give us the Bible, but Prairie did give us the lofty wisdom of teaching us to plant ourselves upon the Bible. Did it give us such light? We say, yes, it did. We say, yes, and we say, thanks. Thanks for the height. Thanks for the light. For the next few minutes, let's illustrate, celebrate, and enjoy some of the light from the facets of this lofty illumination of that prairie shined on us during our formative years here. We will do that without rating them as to importance, without arranging them as to chronology, without attempting to classify them as to topic, without attempting to be comprehensive, and without noting the references. We will note these facets of lofty illumination as they came to mind, to my mind, as I wrote this. Here are some facets of lofty light, some highlight that were shined, highlights that were shined upon us here during our formative years. Behold, I bring you good tidings.
of great joy, which shall be to all people. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my sin. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and lo, I am with you always. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. God inhabits the praises of his people. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. I go to prepare a place for you. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is my God! He is my refuge. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. I have cared for you since you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. Thank you, Prairie, for giving us the word of God and these facets of our highlights, our lofty illuminations. We have thoroughly enjoyed this weekend. 
and very grateful <clears throat> for Prairie to bring us oldies back. I just want to let you know that what you see is not necessarily what you get. <laughs> On the platform behind me, probably there are some metallic joints, there are pills in the pockets, funny electronics perched on the ear. Some of us have had heart conversions, which is two paddles on the chest, carry canes. And if you look closely, some of us men shine for Jesus much more than we did 50 years ago. <laughs> okay. But we love Jesus. And it's been our privilege for 50 years to serve him, and we don't stop now. We serve a holy God, and the motto of our class was called unto holiness. And tonight I invite you to stand and sing with us, Holy, Holy, Holy. Last night in my, in my dreams, I was as tall as Jake, but something happened overnight. It was a, Mark says it's a nightmare. That's true. <laughs> Excuse me. All righty. I'm going to talk about, well, no, I'm not going to talk about Alice Short. What happened to my slides? Well, my slides are gone. I guess I can go. 
You wish. Ha ha. Well, I'm going to talk about honoring our heritage. If you read, read, read The Last Harvester, you would have seen a page there dedicated to honoring our heritage. Uh, we're grateful, certainly, for our past, as Jake so eloquently talked about. But we are more than energized for our future. And we are on a mission to make this campus a much more welcoming and inviting place to be. Uh, typically, in the summertime, we have alumni drop by unannounced, and uh, at one time I was in my office and this lady showed up, and she, her intent was to roll around campus in her car, not even get out, not talk to anybody, but she was so confused. She found her way to my office and said, please give me a campus tour. I have no idea about this place anymore. Uh, anyone identify with that? Yes, indeed. The place has changed a bit, even since my time. And uh, I'm uniquely qualified to speak on this subject because I've been in this town, believe it or not, for 44 years. And I'm only 43 years old. <laughs> well, this summer it happened again. There was a young man, about 25, 25 I'm guessing, showed up with his bride, wanted to know where, wanted to show his bride where he grew up. And... Uh, wondered if there was anything on display. Well, it reinforced once again the need for us to have a year-round reminder of our heritage. And year after year, Rhoda, where are you, Rhoda? There you are, Rhoda. Year after year, this lady puts in so much work to set up a display, take it down, set up a display, take it down. We want to build something that will last. Uh, so we want to put together a museum. Now, I do have pictures, but evidently you don't get to see them. Not working. Well, okay, I will try to describe this thing then. We are... Re All right, what more can I talk about? <laughs> While they try to get that going, I'm going to talk anyway. Uh, you'll notice that campus has changed slightly and our faculty have moved into Maxwell Center and so we are repurposing or have repurposed what used to be called the faculty wing on the south side of campus. So the second floor is currently the music and worship arts facility that's finished, but first floor is a construction zone. Half of it is going to be expanded space for music and worship arts, one of our growing programs, and then the east portion of that is going to be the home for our museum. Um, and to do this, we, we've already, okay, here we go. Oh, these pictures are going to wow you. <laughs> all right, so if you can imagine the faculty wing right there in my clicker works. All right, so this is the east, and you come in here, the faculty offices were here. Mr. Maxwell's office was right here. So what we intend to do is to put in, um, well, we've got the thing painted and there's construction going on here. We're gonna refloor this in two or three weeks. Um, but the real big deal is uh, we're gonna be putting in these doors. And you know, I've been around here a long time, but I'm not really sure what that building is. <laughs> All right, so there's uh, doorway one, doorway two, and looking uh, from west to east, halfway down the hall, 
we're going to put a glass partition here. So this, the part closest to you, will be uh, the extended wing of the music and worship arts part, and the east side will be the um, museum. Now, what will this accomplish? It allows to accomplish a number of goals. First of all, is to create an easy to access space for our guests. Uh, naturally, we want people to come in year-round and do that. It will also help bring a 60s-era building up to current safety standards. So part of these doors include panic bars. I just want to detour for a little bit here. I'm sure some of you in this room today, when you think back to when you were students, were enjoying quality time with your special someone and the dean showed up, you could have valued a panic bar. <laughs> well, these doors have, will have panic bars, meaning if there's an issue, you can get out really fast. So if for no other reason, think of alumni today or students today and their need to use panic bars. And it will also help us to ensure, install rather, a secure FOB access and the current frames don't allow us to do that. If I can just back up a little bit. The doors look good, but we have to replace the whole mechanism, the whole frame, everything. Now, don't fall off your chair, but each of these doorway units, so times by four, costs us uh, $6,250. So naturally, we're very grateful for alumni and friends who step in and help us make Prairie a much more inviting environment in which to serve our students and serve you when you come back to campus. So uh, that said, I'm going to ask the ushers, uh, some of our students, to come forward. If you'd like to support this project, um, have at her. We uh, are so grateful for the support we do receive from our friends. And if you came tonight wanting to support but unprepared, I'm going to give you another crack tomorrow. How about that? And if we don't, no, I won't go there. All right, students uh, who are taking the offering, come on down. Let's just have a word of prayer. And uh, if you'd like to support this project, um, take advantage of the opportunity. Father, we're so thankful for your provision over 97 years for this school. And thank you that we can serve our students year after year after year. And I just pray that you would bless this offering uh, for, to further your purposes on this campus as we seek to build into the young lives that you send our way. And we thank you so much for our alumni and our friends who stand behind us. God bless them. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray. 
against me, yet shall not my heart be afraid. just could have listened to more. Thank you. Just took me back. I have the pleasure of reading this incredible writing that our classmate Carol Pfister wrote. Carol, who's now graduated before us to her home. And um, it's a hard thing to read, but this song that you guys just did means we don't need to be afraid uh, 50 years ago, we were young and inspired and full of pizzazz and faith and, you know, the world's ahead of us. And then, you know, we began to live and, um, and we began to learn those lessons. So this was written then and it's reflective now. So I read it with such honor because uh, 
because Carol is not here, and she was our very precious classmate. It goes like this. Called unto holiness, called to be like him, that all eternal values will make the world grow dim. Called to consecration, called to bear my cross, called to count my life, myself, as nothing more than dross. Called unto holiness, called that all may see the beauty of my master through my transparency. Wow. Called to be refined, to be his crown of gold, so pure that his reflection there will none of myself hold. Called unto holiness, called to sacrifice my dreams and my ambitions for him who paid the price, called from Satan's bondage and freed through marvelous grace, called to win approval as I bow before his face, called unto holiness, called to serve the king that more may know my master and of his mercy sing, called to bear chastisement, called to suffer here, called to swift obedience with meek and godly fear. Holy is the Lord, and I, his child, am called to be partaker of his holiness. God, I belong to thee. Take thou this broken vessel, possess it for thine own. Take us to Calvary and reign supreme alone. So wrote Carol 50 years ago. Well, thank you so much as we've been reminiscing from their class uh, graduation program. We have been sharing these different parts um, up until this point, and now we're going to transition a little bit to share about our distinguished alumni for this year. And so I will start off with our first distinguished um, alumni, which is for um, the award of Early Career Excellence, and that is Peter and Deanna Fast. And as um, they start to come up, I'll read their bio. Peter Fast is a 2007 graduate of Prairie College, holding degrees in Biblical and Intercultural Studies. He also completed a Master of Arts in Judeo-Christian Studies at Masters International University of Divinity. Deanna attended Prairie as well and then continued her studies in music at the University of Lethbridge. She was involved in university, community, and chamber ensembles as well as teaching saxophone and piano and guest conducting the university wind orchestra and holding workshops for local bands. In 2008, she graduated with a Bachelor of Music in, sax music in Saxophone Performance. Before 2010 and 2013, Deanna and Peter had the opportunity to live in Israel for three years as volunteers with Bridges for Peace. While continuing their involvement, uh, while 
she was continuing her involvement in music, Deanna had many unique opportunities as a human resource manager for BFP to work with Christian volunteers from around the world, as well with local business people and government ministries. The couple formed many lifelong friendships, and when the Fasts returned to Canada, Peter became the deputy national director of BFP, and in 2019, he was chosen as the national director. Peter and Deanna are passionate about healing the divide between Christians and Jews and travel frequently, speaking to both audiences. They also make regular visits to Israel, leading discipleship tours, attending conferences, and participating in meetings, as well as members of BFP's international senior leadership team. Deanna continues to share her love for music and the Lord through the church and other events and teaching music privately as she works in a part-time capacity for the ministry. Peter teaches on subjects such as uh, Hebraic roots and historical and modern Israel, hope I'm saying that right, <laughs> Christian anti-Semitism, and early church history, and is an accomplished author of two novels. They have two children and live in Winnipeg, where the Canadian National Office of Bridges for Peace is located. So for their dedicated contributions in creating understanding between the church and Israel, Prairie is pleased to name Peter and Deanna Fast as Distinguished Alumni for Early Career Excellence for 2019. We have this beautiful crystal globe that we give to each of our distinguished alumni and other partners and so on. So um, we, we, we think of it as, you know, sort of a beautiful reflection of the world. But I think the best looking part of it is at the bottom. You see, on the bottom we have carved this lovely wheat sheaf. And so when you look at the globe, you can see it kind of all twisted and out of shape, shining through the world. And we think that's a little bit of a reflection of the work that we do here at Prairie. Again, congratulations. All right. Um, for our Distinguished Alumni Award for the Integration of Christian Faith and Professional Achievement, we have um, awarded to Peter and Leanna Dunn. So Peter was a high school graduate of 64 and a Bible school graduate of 67. He was born in China to missionary parents Marvin and Miriam Dunn. At the age of six, he was placed in the CIM home in Three Hills and spent the next 14 years of his life at Prairie, attending grades 2 to 12 and three years of Bible school. Liana uh, came to Prairie from a Mennonite farm community in Ohio. They met us at school and were married seven years later. Some of those years were, for Peter, a time of wandering and searching, then graduating from the U of A. And for Leah, she graduated from the Eastern University. Um, oh, sorry, let me back up. Eastern Mennonite University. There we go. After their marriage in 1972, they served in a ministry to street girls in New York City under the Eastern Mennonite Board of Missions. Peter's parents had hoped that he too would become a missionary or a pastor, but God, in his inscrutable way, had plans for Peter to be a different kind of Christian witness. Working with street girls was difficult, but during that time, as he looked for ways to keep the girls busy, Peter discovered his passion for creating and producing and selling products, and that this and that this too could be done for God's glory. After three and a half years in New York, the Dunns moved back to the farm in Ohio, where they began a business known as P. Graham Dunn. 
They started out as a supplier to Christian bookstores, making gifts using scripture and other inspirational quotes. With the demise of Christian bookstores, the business has diversified into other markets, still keeping the scriptural Christian emphasis. Through the fat years and the lean ones, God has blessed their efforts to where P. Graham Dunn now has 300 employees, many of them Mennonite or Amish, and has become a respected name in the gift industry. The production plant and unique retail floor draw many visitors annually. Liana was involved in the business for many years, taking on different roles. Her main role has been keeper of the home, along with involvement in Bible study fellowship and a jail ministry. Peter continues to spend time at the business daily and has been privileged to serve on several boards. Their oldest child, Anna, succumbed to cancer in 2013, and their three younger children included a phys- include a physical therapist, a pastor, and a midwife. The Duns are both active in the Kidron Mennonite Church and, invo- and enjoy visiting their three grandchildren in Arizona. So for their contributions to excellence in business leadership and faithful service to the body of Christ, we are pleased to name Peter and Leanna Dunn as the Distinguished Alumni for Integration of Christian Faith and Professional Achievement. Congratulations. last little part. (laughs) There's a reason I walked away from that. Um, You know, if something like this was crafted out of wood, I could be stroking his back while he's stroking mine, and I think it would cost him a whole lot less than what he would pay for this. But thank you so much anyway. All right, and for our third Distinguished Alumni Award uh, for this year, and we have awarded the Lifelong Christian Ministry Award to Harold and Lorna Fowler, and since they're unable to join us, we had asked if they would put a video together for us, so we will show that now, and so we'll get that loaded. Uncle Harold was born into a Christian family October 24, 1925, in Vancouver, the fifth of six children. His statement that he was raised on faith may well be understood as his father was the leader of a faith mission. At the age of 10, while in bed in the dark, Harold accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. Some years later, after hearing a veteran missionary speak of Africa, his imagination caught every scene. He knew that he would one day go as a missionary to Africa. When World War II broke out, Uncle Harold volunteered for service in the Navy. After two years of training and service, he studied journalism by correspondence and then attended Prairie Bible Institute from where he graduated in 1950. Years later, he would write the story of the PBI co-founder, Ellie Maxwell, in the book Maxwell's Passion and Power. When Harold left for Prairie, he was in a rebellious mood. His secret plan was to stay at PBI only until Christmas break and then head to the West Coast, volunteering on a merchant ship headed for Australia to see the rest of the world. 
But the first few months at PBI radically changed his plans and his spiritual life. The fall conference speaker, Armin Geswin, brought powerful messages on the Christian life. Harold knew he was not right with God, but still rebelling. He sat out the sessions, but the Holy Spirit was sitting right beside him, gently convicting. After a sweaty struggle, he gave in and committed himself to the Lord. Academically, Prairie's excellent English course attracted him, and PBI's Sunday radio broadcast gave him a writing opportunity to be involved in writing. Pumped up with ambition, Harold confided to Principal Leslie Maxwell his desire to follow a writing career. Forget it, young man, the soldierly Maxwell barked. First get something to write about. Years later, Ellie told him he never so counseled anyone else, but somehow he sensed Harold was putting ambition ahead of personal walk with God. Maxwell was right. We remember his father's advice. Uh, he must, we must become willing for God even to place us on the shelf if that would glorify him. On the shelf? That was unthinkable. But then the Lord's message to Jeremiah spoke to Uncle Harold. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. That's Jeremiah 45, verse 5. Uncle Harold struggled until finally he said, Okay, Lord, take my writing ambition. I put it to death under your cross. I will not seek a writing assignment until you resurrect it. Upon acceptance as an SAM Canada missionary, Harold was assigned to the African Challenge in Lagos. He arrived in Lagos on July 12, 1951. My grandma, Elizabeth Lauren of Parrot, was born March 15, 1928 in Oshawa, Ontario. It was while she was in high school, although no one spoke to her about her relationship with God, that she cried out to the Lord for forgiveness. Her assurance of salvation came through Jesus' promise found in John 6, 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. After high school, Lorna worked in an office for three and a half years. She sensed a deep desire for further and deeper Bible study. She applied to and was accepted by Prairie in 1949. While at Prairie, Lorna was involved in the Prairie Overcomer Department. Lorna continued to develop her secretarial skills and she gained a greater appreciation for the needs for printing establishments, even in Africa, where she had previously thought there were already too many missionaries. God turned her heart towards Nigeria and serving with SIM Canada. She graduated from Prairie in 1953 and was accepted into the SIM family in February 1955. Lorna arrived in Nigeria on October 25th of that same year and was stationed at African Challenge in Lagos. She was well suited both by training and experience for her secretarial assignment. When my grandpa, when Harold, heard that a Lorna Parrot from Canada was coming to work at the challenge, it crossed his mind that Miss Parrot might be God's girl for him. Harold remembered that a Lorna Parrot had attended Prairie and that he had spoken at her church in Oshawa. But in view of the local culture and SIM regulations, he had to be very sure before approaching the young lady. So he asked the Lord to fulfill a couple of fleeces. The result was positive, and within three months of Lorna's arrival, Harold invited her to visit a local village. On the way, as they walked through the African rainforest, my grandpa blurted out a proposal. And the, as the story goes, um, grandpa said she had no choice but to accept him since they were on a, a very uh, remote path. <laughs> they were married on September 8, 1956 in Lagos. 
God blessed their home with two children, my mom Rebecca and my uncle David. Uncle Harold has written some specific challenges that, that he would like to pass on to you as the students at Prairie. So let me read those uh, for you to reflect on. Uncle Harold said, We can never outgive God. Turning our lives over to Him does not result in loss, but in much personal blessing. God sometimes has to bring us face to face with seeming calamity to make us trust. But God also still calms life's storms with his peace be still. And God never wastes anything that he gives us, whether talent, experience, or relationships. None of that is ever wasted. It's hard for those of us who've known Uncle Harold and Aunt Lorna all these years to see him uh, struggling to use words because words have been such a powerful uh, part of his life and the way God has used, used Harold and Lorna. But Uncle Harold also adds as a challenge to the students, to you, nearing the end of my own life, I realized that as Isaiah said, we do indeed fade as a leaf. Many younger people do not recognize the names of church leaders and Christian politicians who have meant so much to their generation but this is as it should be. The Lord raises up his anointed servants for each generation's tasks, and he it is who continues his work. I was trying to think if my grandparents were able to be there, um, what they would want to say, and as Uncle John said, my grandpa was never short on words, so I'm sure he would have had something profound to say. And I, I think it may have gone something like this. Whether we stay or go, whether we're in school, in Nigeria, or in a senior's home, whether we are a pitcher on the table, a serviceable pitcher, or a vase on a shelf, our calling is the same, to glorify our Creator. And I think, I think that's the, the story woven through their life and all of their experiences, is they were just, they were open to God using them as he chose and they had open hands and God really God really did use them so may we all follow in in their footsteps So in that last part, I guess, that we didn't quite catch, it's where Harold is saying, um, like, God bless Prairie and all that he has done. And so it's, yeah, just him sharing with us as well, that last little bit. And so in recognition of um, Harold and Lorna Fuller, and of their lives dedicated to the spreading of the gospel and for their contributions to building up the Global Church, uh, we are pleased to um, honor them with this distinguished award of lifelong Christian ministry. And so in honor of them, we have invited their family to be here. And so uh, Jeff and Stacy, their grandkids are here to receive the award on their behalf. And they, oh, do we want to get a, did you want to get a picture with them? Oh, yeah, yeah, good idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember the globe. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we got the gloves. <laughs> And now they're going to give us a few greetings as well. Well, it is an honor to be here with you, Prairie. It's quite special for our grandparents to be recognized like this. As we walked around campus, it's hard to imagine just how much has changed over the last 70 years. Um, and I know our grandparents would love to see it for themselves. On behalf of our grandparents, we want to thank President Maxwell and Prairie. And although many know Harold and Lorna Fuller from my grandfather's books, from conferences, and uh, their work with SIM, it's quite uh, an exclusive group who gets to know them as grandma and grandpa. Like Prairie, I'm sure my grandparents have changed quite a lot over the years. At ages 93 and 91, their lives look quite a little bit different. <laughs> In fact, rumor has it, my grandfather was quite a prankster during his time here. <laughs> Perhaps our favorite story is when he received what he no doubt asked for. Some of his friends removed the pegs out of his bunk bed. And so that night when he jumped into bed, the top bunk came crashing down on the bottom bunk with my grandfather tumbling after it. <laughs> but seizing the opportunity to have the last laugh, which he often did, uh, my grandfather, an avid artist, grabbed his art supplies and then painted some severe bruises and a pretty ugly black eye on his face. <laughs> Although I'm sure the prank war didn't end there, the remorse and horror of his friends after seeing the damage they had caused <laughs> continues to be the source of many laughs. <laughs> Although that side of my grandfather hasn't changed much, their time at Prairie played a far more profound role by equipping them for their call to missions. It was here that the Lord cultivated a foundation in a young woman from Toronto and a young man fresh out of the Navy. Adventures and improbable stories from the mission field aside, they have lived simple and humble lives, faithfully devoted to what the Lord placed in front of them. Only eternity will truly tell of the magnitude of their life's work. It really is such a pleasure to be here and to see a place we've heard so much about. My grandparents love Prairie and it holds a very special place in their hearts. As you can tell, I have lost my voice. So as Harold Fuller might have said, if you find it, would you please let me know? <laughs> we love our grandparents very much and it's easy for us to think they are practically perfect. But the special thing is they're simply two lives that have been open to God's will. If you ask our grandpa about their work, he will point up and remind us that any good that came from their lives was God's doing. They were simply willing vessels, vessels motivated by a deep love for people and a deep trust in God. It was this love and trust that gave them courage to say yes to God's call to Nigeria as two single people in their 20s. And it is their love and trust that we've seen played out day to day in the quiet of normal life in the people they brush shoulders with. They were faithful servants, not just in prominent ways, but in the seemingly little things. Our grandma will quickly turn down any praise, but she has been a leader in her own right and has been such a support for our grandpa through all their work. Though much of her service was behind the scenes, editing our grandpa's books or hosting guests in Nigeria or corresponding with colleagues, she deeply cares for people and continues to serve people selflessly. 
For grandpa, there are so many times he would tell a young mom in an elevator that she was doing a good job or ask an employee at Tim Hortons if they'd read their Bible lately. People weren't just a mechanic or a cashier, a doctor or a hairdresser. They were people whom God created and loved, and my grandpa didn't waste opportunities to share Jesus' love with them. Grandpa knew life is short and was bold to share the light of Jesus and plant seeds for eternity. In the most recent chapter of their life, it is still Jesus' love that they cling to and a weathered trust in him that carries them through. No longer is trusting God about praying for protection in a Nigerian jail or for strength during grueling traveling seasons, but it's trusting that God is faithful and that he still has purpose in their lives. One of my favorite quotes by our grandpa is that in a great mansion, both the ornamental vase on the shelf and the serviceable picture on the table glorify their designer. Most of their lives, they were serviceable pictures, and no doubt they have times of still wishing they could be. However, they are in seasons much more like an ornamental vase now, beautiful vases that tell a wonderful story of God's love and faithfulness. Though from a human perspective, their service now looks quite different. They continue to have open hands, offering what, what they have and trusting that God doesn't need them to be strong in order to share his love. They continue to be humble and faithful servants of Christ. We want to thank those who nominated our grandparents and thank Prairie for recognizing them. It is a tremendous honor, and they are very humbled. I guess we're not the only ones who think they're pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps C.T. Studd expressed what we're trying to say best. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. Enjoy or sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Thank you. Well, I don't know if I need to confess to using this award for my own personal agenda, but I did consider Harold and Lorna very good friends personally. They looked after me at different times when I was in trouble with different people. They offered me a bed when the dorm that I was living in wouldn't let me stay there any longer. And then, uh, despite that, they, it was Harold who invited me onto the prairie board, so I think it's partly his fault that I'm here anyway. That was back in the 90s, and I rolled off and came back on, and now I ended up here because of my wife. I try and blame someone else for everything that goes on. I also consider another distinguished alumni a very good friend uh, that I've gotten to know in the last little while, and that's Peter and Leanna Dunn, especially Peter. I feel like he's a personal friend, and I've been looking forward to this moment for about six months. So to put the best use of time, I wrote down my comments uh, because there are many, many details that I could have filled in, but I would have been taking time from Peter, and that matters. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, 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 I might, I might, I might regret it, but I might not, uh, not on this one. So I've left out some details for the sake of giving Peter a little more time, and Leanna, I think Leanna's sharing this time with you, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. I'm also grateful to Len and Judy Hartzler, who uh, have been best friends with the Duns over the intervening decades when, from when they were here in school, since they were all here as students, and who are a key to getting me connected with them, even to the point of joining me for a visit to the Duns in Ohio in February earlier this year. Imagine 
you are writing a term paper, and in your research you find some excellent material to include, and so you do. And well, you should. But you decide you won't give the credit to the author, so you skip that part. About 50 years ago, in his final year of Bible school, Peter did exactly that. He realized he'd done this in a previous year, in his final year of, of school, and during a conference just like the one that we just finished, uh, he decided he'd rather not have that hanging over him or holding him back in the future. So he went to the professor involved or whoever was involved to get it straightened out. All good, right? All heaven rejoices when someone repents, right? That reminds me of Luke 15, 7. I tell you that in the same way there are more rejoicing in heaven, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Yeah, but not at prairie at least in that era. You see, instead, Prairie assembled a bit of a tribunal, found Peter guilty, shocking finding, threw the book at him, stripped him of his upper-class privileges, including being a TA for my grandfather, and made him up... Oh. <laughs> made him get up in front of the entire student body to apologize. Like, what is that about? Imagine being in that auditorium hearing Peter speak. What lesson would you take away? I think I would say, is this forgiveness or is this judgment? If this is for what forgiveness looks like, I think I'd rather bury my sins. The problem with burying your sins is that it's sweeping dirt under the rug, and then you're choosing to live in a dirty house, and Peter wanted a clean house. The good news is... They let him graduate. He left here probably hurt, probably angry, walking, planning to walk away from whatever this Christianity was. But God, in his great love, reached out and Peter responded. He went down to Ohio to see Leanna, his illegal girlfriend from Prairie. They got married. They left the hurts brought on by Prairie, behind. Perhaps he even forgave us for our self-righteousness. They went on to have their family build a great company in beautiful Amish country of Ohio. Leanne forgave him. Leanna forgave him for his mistakes. Maybe even loved him more because of them. Peter has become a gracious, <laughs> a gracious, godly, generous person. A man who knows he makes mistakes, he owns his mistakes, and is a better human as a result. God has used both Peter and Leanna to bring light and love to their corner of the world. Peter, Leanna, I am sorry, we were wrong. I'm sorry we put you through that pain. And I thank God that in spite of our mistakes, he's brought you here today, tonight, after decades of success and godly influence in your communities to so let me set this straight. Thank you for your generous allowances for us and our self-righteousness. May God continue to rich you, richly bless you. Our Father, we thank you for Peter and Leanna. Now bless Peter as he comes. Bless Leanna. Give her the words. Give her your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Mark. Um, so I'm going to have a few opening comments. I'm going to have a few opening comments and then turn this over to Peter. Uh, he's a better storyteller than I am. Um, Peter and I don't just—we don't consider ourselves distinguished folk at all, and we do thank Prairie and all involved, Len and Judy, for this undeserved honor. I've thought a lot about these awards, and I've concluded that the only awards that really matter are those that will or will not be given by the Lord when he comes again. He, he doesn't ask us for success. He asks us for faithfulness. The Apostle Paul asks the Corinthians, what do you have that you haven't received? And the answer, of course, is nothing. The older I get, the more I realize that all that we are and all that we have is because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior, and, and only that grace. Whether it's our salvation, our eternal life, our godly heritage, our years at prairie, family, ministry, business, it's all because of God's mercy and grace. And even our disappointments and our failures and our suffering, we've had all that, are a part of his grace. And our only, um, our only appropriate response is to thank and honor him, which we hope we can do tonight. So, in God's mysterious providence, he brought together a Three Hills MK and a farm girl from Ohio, and Peter will tell the rest of the story. So how do you follow up with after that? I mean, where do you start? Um, all right, so Le Leanna says that uh, we're undeserving of this award, and she's right. But you know what? I'm going to take it. <laughs> this is the best award I've received in my lifetime. And I feel the same way about being able to speak to you folks. I've given many speeches in my lifetime, but this is the one that honors me the most. And uh, so I'm not going to do what Mark did because I'm a big boy. <laughs> but you know who's looking down and is grinning right now? My dad. My dad never wanted me to be a businessman. And he called, when you, when you talk about filthy lucre, by the way, I used that term last night in a group with a bunch of millennials. They didn't have a clue what I was talking about. <laughs> Uh, and I would say to them, and I say to my dad, and I say to you, uh, not all lucre is filthy. Um, where would we be without some lucre? Um, but my dad, he, would, he wanted me to be a missionary, and I wanted to be a missionary. And, um, well, why do you think I took accordion lessons? It's real simple. <laughs> you can't lug a piano around India. So I wanted to be a missionary in India, and that's why I took accordion lessons, and I've been ribbed about it ever since. Um, all right, so where I intended to start is right here. Um, how many months ago was that? Six months you came down? Um, so six months ago, um, in, in somewhat of a coy fashion, um, two people, Actually, three people, Len Hartler and his wife, Judy, and um, Mr. Mark Maxwell, um, 
both approached me separately and they said, hey, I just happen to be in the area and I'd like to stop by and meet with you. Um, Len and Judy said, hey, we're going over to visit some relatives in Pennsylvania. Could we stop in and see you? And Mark says, I'm on my way back from Florida. Could you stop in and see us? And Leanne and I were like, oh, what's going on here? You know, uh, in fact, that line about we're in the area and uh, we want to see if we, we used, we used to use that in business all the time until people caught on it. It's like, hey, I'm happy at the, I happen to be at the Allerton Hotel in Chicago and um, I wonder if you could see me tomorrow morning. I want to sell you some product. Well, it doesn't go too far. And with these gentlemen, it didn't go too far either. We knew something was up, but we had no idea what it was. Um, but in the meantime, we had a pretty good time. Um, uh, Len is a lot like my wife. I call him a flatliner, which in an ER room is not good, but in a marriage it is. Um, I call him a, a linear person, and I call my wife uh, a linear person. I, Mark and I are somewhat not cut from that cloth. Um, we're somewhat convoluted, we're serpentine, uh, and we even go a little haywire once in a while. And in the, the, the advantages of that are that you become nimble, you can adjust, you can do whatever needs to happen, and in the business environment, um, you know, he, we kind of hit it off. Um, until, until, um, we get an email, and it was like, would you like to receive the award of distinguished whatever? And uh, we looked at each other, and we said, you know, they were here, they, are, they were on reconnaissance. They were trying to check us out. <laughs> the, the whole thing was a vetting process. And we thought we were just having a party, which we were half the time, but the whole time it was like they were looking at each other, you know, you know, and we were, so we connected the dots. And uh, as, as Leanna said, we feel we are unworthy, and we are unworthy, but we are so honored to be here. Um, you know, for most of you, PBI was four years. For me, it was 14. Um, I mentioned that yesterday, and somebody said, how come it took you so long to graduate from Bible school? <laughs> There's a lot of us that grew up in this town, a lot of staff kids, a lot of MKs came here in the first grade, and we just rode it right through to the end. Um, so this isn't just a school, it's a home. It's a place where we were formed, and we were formed in, um, in, in, in spite of what Mark said. Uh, we were formed in a very uh, constructive manner. Um, and, in, in, and because of some of the experiences that we went through here, as all of which, most of which were positive, um, I don't think what we were able to accomplish with the Lord's help would have happened without the formative years that we had here at PBI. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the last month has been um, very unusual. Um, this is the climax. Um, we had our 47th anniversary, um, August 26, and it took me seven years of stocking, not the kind you put on your feet, um, um, to get her to agree uh, to marry me. Uh, we were in Banff recently, and we, uh, we were talking to this lovely 79-year-old British woman. And we, the, the 47th anniversary came up, and she said, Oh, you know, have you heard the story about um, a marriage and greeting cards and how they're so similar? 
And it was like, no. She said, well, marriage is like greeting cards. When you first get started, it's two hearts and a diamond. But when you end up, it's two clubs and a spade. <laughs> Thank you. That's the role she's played in my life the whole time. She's my, she's my backup. How many of you here met your spouse at PBI? Could you put your hands up? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh my. So how does that happen? What you try to suppress, you know, you try to knock this all down, but all it does is kind of light the fires. You know, you're not supposed to be making eyes at each other. You're not supposed to be doing But look at this. I mean, they, they needed to rethink whatever their philosophy was because it did not work. Um, I, I went to see a, a student that graduated with me this afternoon, this morning in, in Red Deer, Bruce Johnston, um, a genius, an, another MK. And that's another reason we kind of resonate. Um, and he said, well, I had a good one that I used and it really worked. And he said, it's called a clipboard and 143. And I'm like, uh, a clipboard and 143. How does that work? He says, you take a clipboard, and you put 143, and that means I love you. <laughs> Is this getting crazy or what? Um, all right, so I'm going to segue now into a little history walk. Um, I've been thinking a lot about PBI since, um, are you still trying to figure that joke out back here? You are still trying to figure it out? One, four, three, I love you. All right, forget it. <laughs> um, so, um, in 1922, there was a gentleman by the name of Leslie Earl Maxwell, uh, who was a hustler. He was a pool hall hustler um, who became a believer down in Kansas. He moved up to Three Hills, and on the ground that we are standing and sitting on was a farm owned by the McElherons, which turned into PBI. Um, the group that was here, um, the Jay Fergus Kirk, the, the Crawfords, and whoever else it was, they, those are what I call the indigenous folks of PBI. Uh, five years into his um, position here at the school, in 1927, he went to Kindersley, Saskatchewan. Um, now, my parents used to do deputation work, and I think that's where you go around and you try to raise money. Um, he would do deputation work, and he would drive around um, to recruit. And Leanna doesn't like the word recruit. So uh, he would drive around to attract people to come to PBI. In Kindersley, Saskatchewan lived um, my grandmother, Maggie Dunn, and her husband, George. They owned a 320-acre farm. They had three children, Aunt Margaret Bradley, uh, Uncle Gordon, and my dad, Marvin. When um, Mr. Maxwell got, L.E. got out there, um, my dad writes in his memoirs that things were getting a little loose in Kindersley. Um, they had dance halls, which we now call nightclubs. Um, and even to this day, um, dance halls, uh, theaters, and pool halls, they all freak me out. I mean, that was the way I was raised. You just, if you went past a pool hall, it was always dark and shady. It was like, that is satanic. Um, and he, he preached and he convicted 
um, that, that entire community, it would appear, um, because in 1928, right before the Great Depression, my parents sold the farm at the top of the market, came to Three Hills with a bag full of money. Um, you know where Hickok Dairy is? Well, that road and everything down to the railroad tracks, they bought. Um, where er, um, Ernie Richardson, who was my great uncle, they owned that property as well. Um, they built their house. They helped Uncle Ernie build his house. They sold property to um, the Hickok Dairy. They sold property, or maybe they donated it to PBI. They probably did. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. Well, while he was up there, I kind of tried to do the math of how many tuition years. I'm a businessman, so I'm thinking money and dollars and filthy lucre. How many tuition years was he able to recruit out of that trip? So he got my uncle Gordon, my dad Marvin, um, um, Maggie or Margaret, Aunt Margaret Bradley, um, Grazley, Laura Grazley Street. Um, they came down and did their 16 tuition years. Um, now, Aunt, my Maggie, my grandma, uh, she was kind of the force in the family. My dad and Uncle Gordon went over to China as missionaries when they both graduated in 31 and 32. And by, by 1952, they had produced four, five, six, seven children all needing a home. Because back then, in the days of imperialism, when children reached school age, they were sent back home. That's the way it was done. Uh, there was no questions asked. And so here's my conjecture that Aunt Maggie, her pocket wasn't empty. And I have a feeling she somehow, this is conjecture, got a hold of the OMF, China Inland Mission, and she said Three Hills would be a great place to bring in uh, a, a home for missionaries' kids. Um, long story short, they built the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, the Deaton Beck Memorial Home, uh, where the gas station is. I don't know what the roads are, but I know exactly where it is. And the house that I spent most of my years in living here is still there. And by the way, it's for sale. I saw it in a real estate listing out there. Um, so, I mean, if you take the high school years, the Bible school years with all of those from, because we came here now because of the, Maggie, um, you've got over 100 years of tuition fees, which is just remarkable from a guy in 1927 who probably drove out in a Model T Ford that was produced in the late 1918s, because they never, back then you never bought anything new. Um, now I leap forward 38 years from that. Get a hold of this. 38 years later, 1955, guess where Leslie Earl Maxwell went? He went to Kidron, Ohio. And he did the same thing 38 years later. He got five people from Leanna Gerber's family. He got nine folks from the Teddy Schumann family. And I think about another 50, 40 or 50 tuition years out of that visit alone. Um, I mean, I mean, it, yeah, it's just amazing when you think about it. And even though some of this is conjecture, I don't think I'm too far off because it all makes sense. 
Well, doesn't it? Yeah. So that, businesses run the same way. They just make sense. And if they don't make sense, you're not doing a good job. And all right, we, we digress. So um, now we move forward to um, 1953 to 64, which is the years that I lived here um, going through grade school and high school. They were formative years. Uh, they were happy years. They were good years. Um, I remember my mother came to me and she said, hey, well, I, I'm going to back up to my sister, Rosemary. Um, Rosemary, at the age of five, was put on a boat in Hong Kong and chauffeured over to Van Vancouver, put on a, a, a train and brought over to Three Hills. They felt she wasn't quite ready for the OMF home, so they took her to Aunt Margaret's house, where she stayed with Uncle Earl, Uncle Ralph, and Aunt Margaret for a year. And I talked to my cousin Harold. He's about three years older than I. He was on the staff. I'm sure many of you know him. And Uncle uh, Harold said he was living in. The, he was. He recalls distinctly when he was like eight years of age, and Rosemary walked through the door, and she was five years of age, and he saw the look on her face. And it, it just, he was just appalled and still has vivid recollections of that. And uh, some of us thrive. Um, some of us, and I'm one of those, uh, thrive on stress. Um, I don't fold like a jackknife or a tent. Um, I'm Scots-Irish. If there's a wall to beat down, I'll beat it down. Not everyone is that way. And my sister Rosemary was not one of them. And she has suffered uh, for the rest of her life because of that. Um, but I have good memories of my grade school days, my high school days. Um, the story I, I still like to tell is uh, Ronnie Kirk in the eighth grade came to work with a 56, came to school with a 56 Ford. And he was bragging to us that this car will do 120. And we were like, nah, it won't do 120. So at lunch hour, whenever it was, we piled into this car, we went out 21, and we turned right there to go past the Meston's farm. And uh, he couldn't get it past 116. So he looked around and he said, roll up the windows, and we hit 120. <laughs> um, I have fond memories of playing, there's a whole vocabulary that comes back to me, playing shinny. I haven't used the word shinny in years. We played shinny out on the top there in front of the OMF home. Um, I, in eighth grade, I pulled out some number seven cigarettes and I was smoking behind the Karagatas. Haven't used the word Karaganis or number seven cigarettes in a number of years either. Um, I thought I, it, was, I was, it was just me that was being the rebel until my kid, my son Paul, was in the eighth grade. And he came in for dinner one evening and I smelled tobacco on him. So it, I guess it's a genetic thing. Um, we, we, there was no abuse in our home. I do remember the, when I was in the second grade, um, I would have nightmares, and Uncle Don Cunningham would come over and sit with me, and Gordy, Gordy was in one bed, I was in the other. He'd settle me down until I was okay again. Um, so I, I don't judge what the OMF did, nor any other mission board. All they did was follow the template that was set by uh, the imperialists, and um, um, we, we followed suit, so, and it's, and you, you know, we sit here and some of us will say, what a foolish thing, but you don't think that some of us or we all are not doing the same thing, we just don't know what it is. Um, 
maybe in 20 years, none of our, all of our kids will have lost their vocal cords. Um, they'll be walking around with their neck in a kink because all they know how to do is text. And, <laughs> and we allow stuff like that. So we're going to be condemned of something as well. Um, all right, this is where it gets interesting. 64 to 67. I, in high school, I didn't take my education seriously. Um, and I, I blame Ruth Deering on that. She said, if you matriculate, you're going to go to school and you're going to lose your faith. And I said, I don't want to lose my faith, so I didn't bother to matriculate. <laughs> but I, as a, as a freshman in Bible school, I do not know to this day why I wanted to become a monk. My heart said, you really need to take your faith seriously. Um, but it was the other parts of my, maybe my, my heart said a monk, but my head did not. And that's kind of what got me in trouble, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. Um, Ted Thompson, sitting right over there, and Doug Nichols, and Peter Dunn, um, Bruce Johnston, Bob Barnhart, uh, Bob Rigstraw, uh, Skip Stogstill, um, we really got into some really deep theology. Um, we got into this whole Armenian um, um, tulip thing. Um, what am I trying to say? Armenian Calvinism. Yeah, we would spend hours, you know, figuring out that, that whole... My Bible to this day is still marked up with all of these verses that try to get this stuff all... Um, but to me, that was kind of like important. And, uh, and I'm going to call Ted Thompson and Doug Nichols and Peter Dunn out on this. We, I think we all got a little cocky. Um, we did what I called, and I mentioned this to, to Ted yesterday, it's, I call it virtue signaling. And when you carry a Bible, like this, you're normal. But when you carry a Bible like this, you're virtue signaling. <laughs> and we walked, you know who actually I think I got that from? It was from your grandpa. Because I can still envision your grandpa walking around. But, I mean, there was a little bit of this Joseph thing going on. A little bit of, in fact, uh, uh, Christian Workers Hour, that was, that was for staff. We had, we had three meetings on a, during spring conference and fall conference. Guess where Peter was for the fourth meeting? I came into the Christian Workers Hour and sat over right on that corner. It was all wood benches. Um, that's how seriously I was taking my faith. Until a preacher came to town. And um, I, I can be thin-skinned and I can be thick-skinned. Um, in this case, I was thin-skinned and I should have been thick-skinned. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but when I was living at the OMF home, and if I got under conviction about something, um, I'd go back and I'd tell the guys, I'm going to confess about this. And you know what they'd do? They'd wrestle me down to the ground and pound the crap out of me. They said, you're not going to go confess about that because you're going to get us into trouble too. Well, when I was a senior in Bible school... You called it a TA. What does that stand for? I was a teaching assistant. I graded papers. I went from playing a teaching accordion one year to being a TA the first part of the next year, ended up driving a garbage truck for the last part of that third year. Um, this event, event or this, this high-powered speaker came in and said, "Peter," or no, he just said to everybody, "If you don't get your life right with the Lord." 
the woman that you want to marry is going to be taken away from you. Something to that effect. Yeah. And, um, and I really took that seriously. Um, and so it wasn't, there was, I had a list of 10 things. The only three I can remember were, um, you, if you didn't put in 90 minutes for your Romans 4, and you put down, if you took 60 minutes and put down 90, which is what I did, you were being deceitful. Um, my sister Rosemary had gone through some of these classes before I did because she was on a four-year course, and I was. Th- I looked at some of her notes. Uh, Miss Deering said, "This is going to be an open Bible test." But by the way, she didn't say anything about marking up my Bible, so I marked up my Bible. So those are the three that I remembered, and. Um, so I took this document, and I know the folks that were involved were Ellie Maxwell, Ted Randall, uh, Ruth Deering, and Carl Jansen. And uh, boy, did the fecal matter hit the fan. <laughs> um, I had no idea. I thought that if, I mean, I don't know why I was so naive. But I had no idea that I was going to be the sacrificial lamb. And so I, if I, I was going to, I couldn't be a TA any longer. I had to get up in front of the tab on, on a Tuesday night and pipe through the entire campus. And, you know, I'm kind of a, I was a proud guy. Uh, I was a Joseph. And, uh, but I threw myself into the well. My brothers didn't. Um, and um, so I went to see Ellie Maxwell uh, personally. Um, and I said, you know, th- this isn't right. Or I don't know what I said. It was, and I remember his response was, it's the lesser of the two evils for you to get up and speak. And what I should have said, well, if it's the lesser of the two evils for me to get up, it's still an evil. But I didn't say that. Um, and I did get up. But, but before I got up, I said, I've got to, I've got a prop here. I, before I do that, I've got to um, speak to Leanna in A108. And they arranged that. I checked into my hotel room. We checked into our hotel room. What room did we get? <laughs> I got 108. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And, uh, but there wasn't a window in the door. So um, I told Leanna, I, I said, you know, I got to get up. You know what her response was? It was like a flatliner would be. Just like, okay. And that's it? You're not upset with me? No. And I don't know if that means she didn't care for me or if that was just the way she handled stress. Um, I re- prior to that, she didn't go home for Christmas, one of those two or thir- thir- second or third year. And uh, the PYF had a, um, a program at the high school auditorium. And I got to play an accordion solo. And I knew Leanna was going to be there. And I busted my chops. I mean, I'm telling you, I worked on, I think it was Life is Like a Mountain Railroad. And I had it down, all the runs in the bass hand. It was, I got up and played that thing, and I went back and sat down beside her, sat down beside her, and nothing, just nothing. So I waited for 20 minutes, and I said, you know, did you enjoy the accordion? She said, it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) Am I telling the truth or not? Um, 
so I, um, they said, you can't be a senior speaker for graduation, but you can play your accordion. So I did. Um, Things went from bad to worse that fall. <clears throat> I, uh, I ran, met up with Leanna. I didn't matriculate, but I was able to go to Vancouver City College in the fall of 67. And she happened to be in Portland. And I thought, I'm going to go down here and talk to this girl one more time and so on. And she did the uh, dumb and dumber thing. She, she absolutely cut me off. And I said, is there a chance that we can get back together? Uh, is, I said, is, is there a one in a million chance? Um, and no. It was just like, it was over. And um, the problem was, she was two years behind me. I wanted to get married. She wasn't ready. She wanted to graduate. She wanted to go on and get a regular degree. And she wasn't going to sit there and put up with the stalker for all those years. Um, so I enrolled in uh, Vancouver City College and um, roomed with uh, Ron Germain and Marvin Holgren. Um, and I got depressed. Um, I was there for like two months, and I took off. And as long as I'm moving, I'm pretty good when I'm discouraged. It's, I call those black dogs. I can keep them on the run as long as I'm running faster than they are. Um, I had 17 jobs in two years, um, and I had them all listed off, and I said, I'm not going to bore you with all of that. Um, thank the Lord for the post office box number, because frequently I would quit a job before I'd even get my first pay paycheck. I'd have to write back and tell them to mail it to the next post office box. Um, and guess who I took on a lively correspondence with in the mail? Your grandpa. Uh, I ripped him up one side and down the other. And he came back with his crucified with Christ and all of this other stuff. Same thing that I had heard in all of the classes. And um, I remember driving from uh, Edmonton to Calgary on Highway 2. And somewhere in that, I, I grabbed the, all of those letters from Ellie Max where I rolled down the passenger window and I threw them out while I was speeding down the road. Um, the job that I ended up enjoying the most was driving cab in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And uh, the, this was now two years later, fall of 69. And uh, a lady, how am I doing for time? Huh? Five minutes? All right. Um, um, how do I condense this? Um, the, a lady in the back seat said, why is a young man like you driving a cab? You should be in university. And that was the one little prop I needed. And um, I did the Scots-Irish thing and was able to finagle my way into the U of A without matriculation. Um, got in, and uh, I was on academic probation. Um, and in December of that year, out of the 300 students in the biology class, I was number one. Um, and I thought, whoa, you're not that stupid after all. Um, um, but then I went overboard like crazy, haywire, convoluted people do. And I thought, I'll go into med school. So I got into med school, and I got a phone call in the uh, fall of 71 saying, uh, Peter, it was from Leanna's sister. And she said, why don't you come down to the farm with us for Christmas? And it was like, what? You think Leanna would want to see me? She said, well, let's go and find out. So... Went down with Leanna, uh, to, with Rachel to the farm in um, Christmas of 71. We're up throwing down silo from the farm. And those of you that have gone on the web know the rest. She proposed to me. <laughs> we got married in uh, fall of 72. Went into the Staten Island Girls Home. And now I've got to talk fast. Um, we be going from a boarding school to boarding 
uh, homeschool administrators. These Afro-American kids were coming in off the streets of New York City. I started up a crafts project with them because we were going crazy. Uh, I was and they were too. Uh, the crafts project was successful. We sold products all over New York, all over parts of New York City. We got shut down because it was a violation of child labor laws three and a half years later. Uh, we were done. We were toast. I rented a U-Haul van. She drove the 63 Dodge. I drove the van. Guess what was in the back of the van? All of the equipment that we were using for these kids in a girl's home that was making money that they got shut down because of violation of child labor laws. Um, I started up um, within eight months of arriving back in Ohio, we started up the business called P. Graham Dunn. Um, the reason this last uh, three or four uh, weeks has been very stressful um, is that the last day of, of, of August, the last day of August this year, we sold the company. We sold it to our employees. Uh, we've had employees there that have been with us for 42 years. And if we would have sold it outside, the, the, the family felt that the leadership referring to me and my age, needed to be replaced with somebody younger, and so that's what we did. Um, one of the things that was, the name of our company is P. Graham Dunn. The P. Graham Dunn is our logo. I had to sell my name. I couldn't use my name any longer because that had to go with the company because the name was worth as much as the company was. So now I'm nameless and without direction and without purpose. Um, Um, and anyways, so, the, so this has been a, an interesting month, and this has been the climax. I thank you so much for um, humoring me, for hearing me out. Um, it really is um, the best award I've been given and the highest honor I've been given. Um, and I will be eternally grateful for PBI and for the current leadership that they have in place. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. The Lord will give you lots to do, so don't worry. Okay. Let's stand together and we'll sing How Firm a Foundation. Oh, um. 
Please be seated. So now we're on to the Certificate of Honors for our class of 1969. So as I read through their bio, and after I have finished, then come up and uh, receive your certificate. So Molly Fraser... Sure, yeah, you can start coming when I call your name. So yeah, that works to help. Molly Fraser, Fraser Andres. With her Bachelor of Education from the University of Alberta, Molly has taught elementary school... MKs overseas, early literacy, and tutored adult ESL. She married Will Andres in 1981, and they have a son, two daughters, and three grandchildren. Molly was involved in Christian school education in Fort Saskatchewan's Christian School and Alliance Church and taught at Prairie Elementary in Three Hills. Short-term ministries have taken her to Venezuela, Moldova, and El Salvador, and upon retirement, she and Will traveled through Germany, Scotland, and Belgium. Here's Molly. Pardon? Oh, one that's there. On the rug. Okay. There we go. <laughs> All right, Margaret Friesen Armbruster. Marge graduated from the Summer Institute of Linguistics in 1976 and received her Tessel Certificate from Providence Bible College in 1996. Her ministry has centered on homemaking, teaching English as a second language, and caregiving particularly to her family of 27 that includes biological, adopted, and fostered grandchildren. She and Roger helped plant their current church in Niverville, Manitoba. Having lived by faith for most of her married life, Marge has proven the faithfulness of God in a very personal and experiential way. Congratulations, Marge. 
Alice Shortberry. Alice worked four years for Prairie after graduation, one year in the print shop and three years teaching music. She then returned to Michigan where she continued studies in music, married and has four children. She finished her education, earning a teaching certificate in music and taught elementary music for 20 years before retiring. Alice resides in Michigan, where she spends time with her five grandchildren, golfs, helps out, at her, helps out at her church, and sings in community choir. She also enjoyed missions trips to Belarus, Ukraine, and Romania. Congratulations, Alice. Next, we have June Frickle Charter. June married her classmate, Vernon Charter, and has been employed over the years by the Canadian Sunday School Mission in Three Hills. She has also worked for the University of Alberta and Nee West Publishers. Throughout Vernon's career at Prairie, June has also served at the school in several different offices on campus and has been a strong partner to her husband in his educational journey. Her hobbies have included sewing and searching out family history, and she now enjoys volunteering in the community of Three Hills where she and Vernon make their home. As well, Vernon graduated from this class and married June in 1971 and worked as a pastor and then in construction. He went on to complete a BA and both bachelor and master's degrees in music from the University of Alberta, followed by graduate studies in ethnomusicology. Vernon earned a doctorate of worship Worship Studies in 2011 from the Robert Weber Institute. From 1986 to 2013, he taught music, worship arts, and ethnomusicology at Prairie. He finds time for fishing and wordworking and has enjoyed travel to Austria, Ethiopia, West Africa, and Greece. Congratulations, Vernon. <laughs> Florine Thiessen Cunningham. Florine raised two sons and worked for 26 years for the Sears Catalog Division in Regina, Saskatchewan. She was married for 37 years, widowed and remarried. Through the years, she has served her church in the nursery and Sunday school and helps her husband, Doug, host a Bible study in their home in Regina. An avid seamstress, Florine is involved in the church quilting bee and for many years she sewed for an orphanage and hospital in Guatemala. Last year, she and Doug enjoyed a memorable trip to Israel. And congratulations, Florine. <laughs> Liana Gerber Dunn. Liana earned a degree in mathematics from Eastern Mennonite University and spent three and a half years in New York City with her husband, Peter, in a ministry to street women. They later moved to Dalton, Ohio to begin a business producing gift items for Christian bookstores. She was involved in the business while raising their four children and has served on her church board, taught Sunday school, led a Bible study fellowship, shared in a, in a jail ministry, and Liana is grateful to God for the sure awareness of his presence, especially during the loss of their eldest daughter in can in can to cancer. And so we are pleased to offer this to Liana. Congratulations. B. Dyke Hart. From 1977 to 1986, B. and her husband Paul served with Mission Aviation Fellowship in Suriname on the northeastern coast of South America. 
1987, they left MAF and moved to Bellevue, Washington, where B ran a home daycare for 10 years, then managed a school kitchen with the Bellevue School District until her retirement in 2014. She enjoys cake decorating, gardening, sewing, spending time with her three grandchildren and six grandchildren. Looking back over the past 50 years, she has been amazed at God's faithfulness and provision through all her life. Congratulations, B. <laughs> Frederick Hain. I hope I pronounced that right. So Fred completed his electrical apprenticeship at Prairie and later took a truck driving course. He married Sue and after six years, after six years on Prairie staff, they served nine years with Village Missions of Canada, followed by several years of secular work. Fred finished his career as tank truck driver in Saskatchewan's oil patch and has pastored Arcola Alliance Church for the past 11 years. He enjoys repairing computers and he and Sue love to travel um, on the road and go on cruises. They make their home in Estevan, Saskatchewan and have five children and 10 grandchildren and one great grandchild. Congratulations, Fred. Larry Hoffman. Larry married fellow Prairie student Kathleen in the fall of 1969 and has enjoyed 50 years of varied ministry, including pastor of Grace Believers Church in Iowa and Westside Bible Church in Glendale, Arizona. They live in Goodyear, Arizona and have one son and three grandchildren. In addition to pastoral ministry, Larry has been a volunteer chaplain and done short-term mission trips with Village Ministries International to India Africa, Mexico, and Philippines, Nicaragua, and Sri Lanka. He enjoys the outdoors and is planning a trip to Israel next year with Kathleen. And congratulations. David Kearns. Dave attended Calvary Bible College and Dallas Theological Seminary after Prairie. He was a dispatcher and safety director for many years with Haney Truck Line in his home, uh, hometown of Yakima, Washington, and has consistently been involved in ministry and Bible teaching in his church. He married Nancy in 1977, and they have two children and three grandchildren. For the last seven or eight years, he has taught weekly at the local correctional facility, Dave is now retired and enjoys teaching and fishing for steelhead and Chinook salmon near the Columbia River. Congratulations, Dave. <laughs> Henry Klippenstein. Henry and his wife, Anne, make their home in New Bothwell, Manitoba, and have four children and nine grandchildren. They were missionaries, missionaries to Austria with Child Evangelism Fellowship from 1969 to 1990. And Henry was the provincial director for CEF of Manitoba from 1992 to 2008. He has been a church elder for many years and is currently pastor of visitation. 
He and Anne have appreciated God's clear direction in decisions and in his many answers to prayer. They are presently enjoying serving the seniors of their church and community. Congratulations, Henry. Arthur Cron. Art began work at, in the Prairie Power Plant in September of 1969 and married Margie Tucker that December. On-the-job training and correspondence courses earned him certification as a second-class operating engineer and a pipe and gas fitter. Active in the Prairie Tabernacle congregation, Art taught junior high, sun, junior high Sunday school and served two terms on the church council. After 30 years on staff, the Crons relocated to Calgary and Art worked for 13 years for a maintenance contractor. They are now back in Three Hills where Art fills a vital role on Prairie's maintenance team. Congratulations, Art. <laughs> Margie Tucker Cron. Margie and her husband Art were on the Prairie staff for many years and raised three sons, one of whom passed away in 2009. Margie upgraded to a degree from Prairie in 1993 in order to begin training as a chaplain in Calgary. For the past 20 years, she has served in hospice care for those facing end of life and serving their families. The Crons both earn or both enjoy Southern gospel music concerts and conferences at Canyon. Beach Conference Center on the Oregon coast. <laughs> Lots of words. <laughs> they travel every year to visit extended family and are passionate fans of their six grandchildren. Congratulations, Margie. <laughs> Wilma Bear Medicine, Many White Horses. Wilma earned a certificate as a clerk typist in 1973 and then a degree in elementary education in 1989. She became a teacher, married, and has two children and four grandchildren. Her younger son passed away in an auto accident in 2002. Wilma has taught Bible and sung in her church choir and enjoys learning about Native American art, language, and history. She has traveled extensively from her home in Browning, Montana, and a major le life lesson for her has been to trust God and rest in his peace in all situations. Congratulations, Wilma. Margaret Davis Martin. Margaret completed training as a nursing aide in 1971, the same year she was married to Ross. They live in Leslieville, Alberta, and have three children and four grandchildren. Margaret has enjoyed over 50 years of children's ministry, been a Sunday school bus driver, produced Christian TV programs in her home, and has traveled over North America transporting people by coach on mission trips to places like Mexico and Texas. 
She has also motorcycled across Canada and the U.S. and has seen God provide for safety and the means to carry on regardless of the situation. <laughs> Congratulations, Margaret. Esther Kuzli-Mills. Esther and her husband, John, were missionaries in Papua, Indonesia from 1971 to 1994. Serving with RBMU, or now known as World Team, they learned the Sawai language and medical work from Don and Carol Richardson and worked in evangelism, church development, literacy, discipleship, and translation. After five terms, they returned to Three Hills to serve in the to serve in the prayer department of World Team and ran their own print shop until retirement. They have three children and 10 grandchildren and pursue an active interest in the land of Israel. Congratulations, Esther. <laughs> Diane Mullet Mitchell. Diane and her husband, Paul, make their home in Cedarville, Ohio, and have four children and 14 grandchildren. Diane was a teaching aide at Christian School in Pennsylvania for nine years and a member of the board until they moved to Ohio, to Ohio to join the staff of Cedarville University. Paul operated the water plant, and Diane was administrative assistant and office manager and manager of the married student complex there for 22 years. She and Paul love to travel and have co-led school missions trips to Jamaica and Liberia. Congratulations, Diane. Luann Newford, Luann Newford, sorry. <laughs> Luann earned a Bachelor of Christian Education from Lutheran Bible College in 1971. She spent three years in Zambia, Africa, developing programs for women and girls in the local churches and teaching Bible in the government schools. After returning home, she worked in sales for a confectionery, confectionery broker for 23 years and then started an eyewear business. On the missions board of her church, Luann helped establish orphanages in Togo, West Africa. She is married to Donald and lives in Everett, Washington. They have one daughter and two adopted granddaughters from Togo. Congratulations, Luann. Jake Penner. After his marriage to Mary, uh, sorry, start over. After his marriage to Marie Birch in 1972, Jake earned degrees at Western Baptist Bible College in Oregon and taught at Peace River Bible Institute. A strong commitment to Christian education led to 10 years as superintendent of Kononia Christian Schools in Central Alberta and a master's in Christian School Administration from Grace Seminary. Following a year in Belize, Central America, and time in Three Hills, the Penners went to Germany under Jan's team in 2002 and started linguistic ministries in several countries, seeing the start of a number of healthy churches. They are, pres they are presently living in Cochrane, Alberta. Congratulations, Jake. <laughs> Marie. 
Marie Birch Penner. Marie married her husband, Jake, at, or met her husband, Jake, at Prairie, and through his years in the oil patch in northern Canada and developing Christian schools in Alberta, she was a busy mother to four young children. When they were grown, Marie joined Jake in Eastern Europe with Jan's Team Ministries, doing English projects with university students. They saw many young people in Germany, Moldova, Belarus, and Latvia come to know Jesus and now live on an acreage near their daughter and grandkids where they run a cat boarding service and support a new church plant in Cochrane. Congratulations, Marie. Lee Rausch. Following seven years on staff at Prairie in the girls' physical education department, Leah went to, Ma to Manila, Philippines with international ministries to work among the Hindu Indian community. After, their, after her first term, she earned a degree in Christian education from Prairie. Through the outreach of CEF Club, the first organized Cindy church was established in 1989. Leo was part of the leadership team and served in music and in many different ministries to women. She retired in 2014 and now lives in Pennsylvania. Congratulations, Leah. John Rice. John joined the U.S. Army in 1969 and became an air traffic controller, spending a year in Vietnam. He earned a B.A. in missions and a master's in theology after Prairie and joined Christ Star with his wife Marilyn in 1974. They spent 26 years in Suriname, South America, and then went to Holland to work with immigrant Hindus, retiring in 2017. They live in Locust, Grove, Georgia, and have two adopted children, five grandchildren, and two blended grandchildren. God's sovereignty in the smallest details has been one of the most meaningful experiences in their lives. Congratulations, John. Teddy Schumann Saka. Teddy and her husband, Ron, pastored in Canada and the U.S. and have been church planting missionaries in Japan since 1975, up until the present. They have three married sons and three grandchildren, and two of their sons work with them in Japan. In 2005, Teddy started Japan Alive, a ministry to youth in schools. Following the 2011 tidal wave disaster, they also began another ministry that helps older women heal from the trauma. God's plans have proven far greater than anything they could have imagined 50 years ago. Congratulations, Chetty. Cliff Scott. Cliff and his wife, Marge, served in Japan under JEM, assisting in, church, in a church plant. After JEM merged with TEAM, they moved to Tokyo, where they lived for 23 years. There, Cliff built new facilities, served as caretaker, and provided missionary housing. He and Marge enjoyed housing visitors in their home in Marsden, Saskatchewan. They have a married daughter and one grandson and are grateful for the comfort that God gave them when they lost their own son, Nathan. Cliff now serves on the local Bible camp board 
is caretaker for his church and enjoys occasional preaching and music ministry. Congratulations, Cliff. Gregory Thompson. Greg of Three Hills, Alberta, holds a MA in linguistics and a PhD in psycholinguistics and spent 15 years with the Siksika First Nation under Wycliffe. He has been a missionary language and culture trainer and consultant for many organizations and developed a missionary training course that has taught um, over 900 workers. Greg has traveled extensively and did a long-term residency in Kazakhstan and Pakistan. He is married to Angela, and they enjoy six children, 12 grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. Congratulations, Greg. Doreen Swatsky-Thornton. Doreen lives in Calgary, Alberta, and is married to Jerry, and has two daughters and three grandchildren. Trained as an RN, she is an intensive care nurse and still works in ICU. Her busy life has included running a Christian coffee house, holding services on a reservation, Sunday school and girls clubs, ladies groups, worship teams, camp work, building houses in Mexico, acting in the passion play, and travel to Costa Rica. Doreen is grateful to God for health and strength to help her family and for his faithful provision over the years. Congratulations, Doreen. And we just want to say a congratulations to the whole uh, group that is here from the 1969 class. Congratulations. Nathan Rook, are you here? Come on up, buddy. Nathan's going to wind this up for us with his time of prayer. Uh, so we're really excited about this. If the class, I'll let Nathan do this. Come on up. Thank you all. I want to be sure to invite you. Um, it's, there's a reception next door right afterwards. And tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, if you wish, we'll be doing three things tomorrow morning. A brief devotional, a bit of an update on the school, and then a look forward to our 2022 centennial celebration, just so you know what's coming. Nathan Rook. Let me tell you, let me, let me properly introduce one of my better friends, uh, and I have many, many good friends here, but Nathan Rook is a board member. He is a volunteer on the management team and a tremendous guy. You're going to like him a lot, and I love this guy. Thank you, Mark. This evening, every year, is one of my favorite evenings, partly because it's a chance where I get to connect with my roots at Prairie and a legacy of those who have gone before me. I love history, and I love um, to, to find out more about each of you, and I wish I could uh, hear each of your story in great detail. Uh, an evening like this leaves me both encouraged and inspired because of your faithfulness. Hebrew 11 talks about uh, these people of faith 
who have gone before, and because of their faith, they did incredible things. They made choices to follow God, which resulted in his glory and their honor. And each of you um, have that same story. I sit here and I hear your story. I'm like 50 years after leaving this place. I'm honored that you're back here. I think of the students that we have here today and think about where they'll be 50 years from now. So thank you for your testimony. Thank you for the example to us of what it means to live a life of faith, of service, sacrifice, and in love with our Heavenly Father. At this time, we would like to have a little commissioning for our um, students. It's our desire that you, as a class of 1969, who have been at Prairie, whose lives have been transformed at Prairie, who have walked with God faithfully and seen him be faithful to you over these years, if, it would be our desire that you would surround these students, lay your hands on them and pray for them as a means of dedicating them for work and service and as they grow deeper in their relationship, love relationship with our Father. So at this time, I would like to ask any Prairie students who are in the audience to come forward and to um, stand side by side in a line right here at the front. Now we'd like to ask the class of 1969 to come and surround these individuals to literally and symbolically lay your hands upon them. Kendi has a mic on the far end and I have another mic. And we'd like to ask a few members of the class of 1969 to pray for and over these students here. So if you want to raise your hand, Kenny and I will bring a mic to you, and after some time, I will close. Our Heavenly Father, what a joyous occasion. And how we look back upon our lives knowing that you have proved yourself true in every situation. And that you're going to do for these kids the same as you have done for us. And we commit each one of them to you. We pray that you will give them hearts to find your way for them workmanship that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth and proving their faith by their walk. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the students that have come to this place that is out here on the prairies, such a unique place that has gifted all of us that have come through the corridors of this amazing place where there have been teachers and mentors, um, people that have taught us, that have lived real lives, had real setbacks, had real triumphs, new sorrows, new joys, and knew that you were there through them all, not because of how any of us feel, but because you are faithful God. So Lord, I bless each one of these students right here on this stage, and such a joy to bless my own granddaughter beside me, and each one who has the future ahead of them, walking with the Lord of Lords. Um, thank you for your faithfulness and your mercy. May they learn it just day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, like we did. We commit them and we commend them to your care in the precious name of Jesus. I'll close with this exhortation from Hebrews 12 to you students. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which entangles so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Um, Would you stand with us as we close our time together in prayer? All right, let's, let's thank the Lord for our evening. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us all these decades. Thank you for this school. Thank you for the leadership, the faculty, the staff, the teachers. Just thank you, Lord, for how you've blessed our lives by our being here. Thank you for the heritage that has been in our families. We do ask you to bless President Maxwell and the current leadership, the, the teachers, the faculty, the staff. Lord, might this ministry continue for decades to come should you tarry. And help us as graduates to be faithful, to pass on your goodness and your faithfulness to our children and to our grandchildren and to our grandchildren. And should you tarry, might the story be passed on even to those yet unborn. Bless the ministry of this school around the world. Bless these students who are here on the stage tonight. 
Might they, Lord, be faithful in following you in your course for their lives. Dismiss us now with your blessing, and we just pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.